0: Hello, I'm William Bell with Fulfilled Radio, a voice you can trust. Welcome to Probing the Prophets with <coughs> Rod MacArthur. Join us every Friday from 11 a.m. until 12 noon Central Standard Time for an exciting adventure through the prophets with Rod MacArthur. Rod MacArthur, husband, father, grandfather, gardener of roses and veggies, Bible student, enamored of the prophets since 1972, hosts a discussion 40 years in the making. Currently living in Auburn, Washington, Rod has preached in Moscow, Idaho, Spokane, Washington, and Terre Haute, Indiana, before moving to Auburn. Welcome to Probing the Prophets with Rod.
1: Good morning, everyone. And for you on the East Coast, have a great lunch This is Rod. I'm sitting here in my Auburn office studio. That makes it sound glamorous. It's really kind of a hole in the wall, as Gerald Kratt could well (laughs) testify. Hello, Gerald, if you're listening, and everyone else as well. We have come to a transition spot in the book of Ezekiel, and we are in Ezekiel. Uh, We're going to be looking at 25 and 6 and maybe even parts of, perhaps, maybe even all of chapter 27. Now, 20. 5 through 32 is a section in Ezekiel which is parallel both in uh, Jeremiah and somewhat in Isaiah, actually extensively in Isaiah, in which the prophet turns his attention to the surrounding nations. In 24, where we finished last week, we had the uh, siege of Jerusalem began and the overthrow was imminent. Uh, Ezekiel was to expect a runner with the message, and at that point his, his mouth would be unloosed, and he could say anything and everything he wanted to say. Up to then, as you recall, he had been bound and could only speak when God told him to. But now, with the fall of Jerusalem imminent, Ezekiel turns his attention to the surrounding nations. You might recall <clears throat> that there was this Shaking of the arrows on the part of Nebuchadnezzar, back in chapter 21, about verse 19 and forward, in which he was trying to determine, should I go to Jerusalem, uh, the city of Judah, or should I go to Rabbah, the city of Ammon? Well, the uh, it came out, let's go to Jerusalem, which gave the Ammonites some cause for not only rejoicing, but gleeful scorn, Uh, Ha, 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 you're going to get yours, and we're going off uh, scot-free. Of course, they didn't know the term scot-free at that time, but still, we do, and that's what they were thinking. What we get then in chapters 25 through 32 is uh, God's examination of the surrounding nations. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's launch against Jerusalem was not a laser strike. It was more like a shotgun blast. Get Jerusalem, get Phoenicia, get uh, the Philistines get the Ammon and Moab and, and uh, Edom. Ah, let's go get Egypt too. And so we're going to see <clears throat> the prophecies then against those various nations and others. It appears that uh, the Assyrians had fairly well taken care of the northern nations, including Israel, specifically Israel. And they hadn't yet risen back to any kind of power, but those that I mentioned, Phoenicia, Philistia, Ammon, Edom, uh, Moab, Egypt, these were still um, independent uh, um, nations paying uh, paying tribute but uh, being thorns in the flesh. And so let's just go wipe them out, is Nebuchadnezzar's thought. And so here he is, in Ezekiel that is, Making some prophecies and predictions regarding uh, these nations. Well, by the way, <clears throat> let me take this time. This is not a shameless plug because it's talking about a freebie. Uh, several years ago, I mean, a couple decades ago, <laughs> I put together a, a little pamphlet. Called, I call it. I called it Cities of Prophecy. It took a look at. Uh, uh, cities that the prophets uh, foreign cities and including Jerusalem and Samaria, that the prophets predicted a downfall concerning and then uh the historical facts and analysis of that. It's a booklet uh, called Cities of Prophecy. I can send it to you free of charge in PDF format if you uh if you desire it. And simply contact me at rod underscore MacArthur at Comcast and I'd be pleased To uh, send you a copy of that or send you the uh, electronic file. You'll have to print it yourself, but I'd be glad to send you the file. All right. Cities of prophecy is what we're just talking about and what Ezekiel is getting into here. In chapter 25, in chapter 25, we have, um, well, we come right back to Ammon. He says in verse 2, Son of man, set your face toward the sons of Ammon, prophesy against them. And say to the sons of Ammon. Now, remember, I pointed this out already, but back in chapter twenty-one, verses nineteen and twenty, Nebuchadnezzar's divination came and pointed to Jerusalem. But here's what we didn't look at, and that is the the reaction of the sons of Ammon, because you said, "Aha!" against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and against the house of house of Judah when they went in exile. So here's a gloating over you got yours and we got off free that uh, God is against. What we're going to see in this chapter, chapter 25, uh, people, uh, national reaction to the calamity of an enemy. Now the the natural human tendency is to gloat, to scorn, Maybe like the Palestinians when the uh, um, terrorists rammed their jets into the uh, Twin Towers in New York back in uh, 01 and they came collapsing to the ground. Um, That pictures of them uh, shouting in the streets for joy and firing their weapons, automatic weapons, up in there and just rejoicing over another nation's calamity. Well, you know, it's kind of like two high school teams. That's kind of the mentality of the, <laughs> uh, the the juvenile mentality of rejoicing when something bad happens to the other team. And But what we're getting here is how God feels about that. Say, because you said, aha. Because you rejoiced when my people got it bad. Now, this is not just because my people got it bad and you're rejoicing. This is the gloating over the fall of an enemy. The proverb writer even even says that. Um I recall reading that. I don't recall where I read it, but uh, don't rejoice when your enemy uh has a bad day because God may stop having him have a bad day and turn on you. So, uh there's this attitude that God doesn't want us to rejoice when something bad happens to other people or to another nation. Um and or smugly wipe our hands and say, "Well, they got what they deserved," or in some such fashion. This is this is a problem that needs to be addressed in the hearts of every man. Though those are people too. Now they may be godless people, but they're people. They may be people who don't care that Jesus died for them, but Jesus died for them, and. Uh, Should I opt into their attitude, or should I opt into Jesus' attitude? That's a question I need to raise for myself. Anyway, I'll quit preaching here. But you said, aha, now look in verse 4. Therefore, I'm going to give you over to the sons of the East as a possession. I'm I'm going to do to you what I did to them. Now, the comment I want to have on the word therefore in verse 4 is, attitudes do have consequences. Uh, i cannot go through life with an ungodly attitude and not expect it to affect my relationships not effect, expect it to affect uh my attitude my uh, my conversations my conduct i can't go through life with an ungodly attitude and expect godly uh circumstances and outcomes so their attitudes had a consequence down in verse 5 i will make Rabbah a pasture for camels and the sons of Ammon a resting place for the flocks, thus you will know that I am Yahweh. I highlight that because we've been noticing that phrase throughout the earlier parts of Ezekiel that highlight what God expected Judah to come to the realization of, I am Yahweh. You need to pay attention to me. What's interesting here is he's highlighting that idea in the minds of the pagans as well. I am Yahweh. I I, I, I rule here. So that's an interesting little uh, tidbit to pick up on. He says, because you clapped your hands, verse 6, and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the scorn of your soul. So that's the point I, I made a bit earlier. Um, Therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you and I will give your spoil to the nations. Now God's hand in this case represents Babylon. At least at this point in time, when God says, I will stretch out my hand against you, it came in the form of the Babylonian army. And that's a a lesson I know that we all already know, but just keep it fresh that God acts through the agency of, or acted through the agency of these uh, mega powers back in the time that he was shepherding his people Israel. Now, he turns his attention to two nations south of Ammon, that is Moab and Seir. Because Moab and Seir say, Behold, the house of Judah is like all the nations. Now, here's a, a little bit different take. Uh, they're getting theirs from Babylon just like everybody else. But when you say a nation is like all the other nations, what you're saying is that nation's God is no different than the other nation's gods. That, uh, powerless to deliver. The mindset of those days was whichever nation conquered, that's the nation that had the most powerful God. So what's it like when Israel and Judah, who've been bragging, we're the only ones with a true God, when they get swallowed up too? Well, the nations around them say, say, your God's no better than ours. And so you're just like all the other people. And then it really comes to a failure to acknowledge Judah's God as the only true God. Now, whose fault is that? Well, obviously it was Judah's fault for not being the light to the nations God put them there to be. Still, the truth is, he was the only true God. And so he says in verse 9, Therefore, I'm going to deprive the flank of Moab of its cities. He calls down in verse 10, the sons of the east. They're going to go along as a possession along with the sons of Ammon to the sons of the east. And that the sons of the east is 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 a generic phrase that could mean anybody that came upon them from the east. It could be uh, the Assyrians who had come a hundred years earlier. Could be the Babylonians who are fixing to come now. Could be the medo Persians who are coming after that. Could be the Elamites. Uh, Ketulaimur back in Genesis fourteen was an Elamite. It came from the uh, uh, came from the east. Could be the Parthians, which the Romans had. Uh, uh, a lot of concern about. So, so many nations could be sons of the East. In this case, it's the Babylonians. And they will know, verse 11, that I am Yahweh. He turns his attention to Edom, because Edom has acted against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has incurred grievous guilt and avenged themselves upon them. Now, here is another focal point. The focal point... Uh, of Moab, uh, of Ammon, was uh, the, the scornful glee. We'll see that again with the Philistines. The focal point of of Moab was your God's no different than any other God. The focal point here of Edom is I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to retaliate. And so here's how Yahweh thinks about na- a nation's retaliation. Um, here's And you mark this down. Uh, our retaliation against the uh, um, whomever uh, attacked the trade centers. This is this is Yahweh's response to it. Re- retaliating, getting even, is against the will, the mindset of God. They will fall by the sword. I will lay my vengeance on Edom, by the hand of my people Israel. I'm going to turn things around. You're retaliating, and I'm going to wreak vengeance on you and you will know that I am Yahweh." Then he turns finally in the final paragraph here of this chapter, turns his attention to the Philistines. Because the Philistines have acted in revenge and taken vengeance with scorn of soul to destroy with everlasting enmity. Now this is not just vengeance like the people of Edom took. This is vengeance with a hatred. This is vengeance with a bitter hatred, with a soul-deep, everlasting hatred. And whether the prophet is pointing at the vengeance or he's pointing at the animosity and the enmity, uh, you you take it both ways. This is not something that God tolerates uh, between nations and between people. Uh, Work out your differences. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. Now all of these, the sons of Ammon, the sons of Moab, the sons of Edom, the sons of Philistia, all of these would know that Yahweh is Yahweh when the Babylonians did what God assigned them to do. But now we come to a very uh, fascinating chapter, chapter 26. Powerful chapter, powerful chapter. The uh, uh posted on my uh, Facebook an invitation for people to listen in uh, that this is a chapter that has uh, converted honest atheists. Now, dishonest people can be converted by any line of reasoning because they already know what they want to believe. But honest people can take a look at the facts and say, there is no way that Ezekiel could have known what was about what was going to happen to Tyre. He, he couldn't have known it. Uh, there's some amazing things in this reading that we'll try to sort out and uh and build uh, build up in in our thinking so we can grasp them and comprehend them but this is a this is a story this Acts is one of those places where god put his thumbprint on the bible says this is my work that's not ezekiel's work it's my work it's not isaiah's work it's my work uh it's one of those things where uh, the prophet says something the prophet could not have known, but it came absolutely true. Uh, and as you look at the history of it, you can't see how it could possibly come true, but it came to the letter true. And how could Ezekiel couldn't have known this, um, but God did. And so this is a passage that if we'll look at it honestly and with, without uh, uh, prejudice, uh, w- 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 our jaws will drop. I, I worship with a man who uh, was not an atheist. He was an agnostic. He was in, 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 trained in the sciences. I mean, he took an examination of Ezekiel twenty-six. He says that there, there's there's no way this had to be from a higher being, and and I agree with him. Now it's on the eleventh year, Ezekiel twenty-six. In the 11th year, on the first month. So we're right at the uh, time of the collapse of, uh, of, of Jerusalem. The fall of Jerusalem was imminent. We have these other nations surrounding uh, Jerusalem. We have um, Ammon uh, to the east and Moab and, and Edom to the east and the southeast. We have Philistia. Uh, to the uh, directly to the west, then we have Phoenicia, Tyre, and Sidon. To the northwest, uh, these, and then Egypt, of course, to the southeast or southwest. Um, so all of these, laying as jewels to be plucked uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, of course, the fall of Jerusalem was in 586 and 586 BC the fall of Jerusalem, <clears throat> in 585, Nebuchadnezzar began a siege of Tyre. We'll talk about that more as we go along. But here it's in the 11th year when this was written. <clears throat> in the 11th year of on the first month, that would be 586, Son of Man, because Tyre has said concerning Jerusalem, Aha! The gateway of the peoples is broken; it is open to me. I shall be filled. She is laid waste. This is really a significant thought, and I think it really helps us, especially as we look at the opulence of Tyre. I want want us all to keep in the back of our minds through this chapter and the next chapter, especially keep in the back of our mind Revelation 18. Revelation 18 talks about the great city, doesn't name the great city, calls her Babylon, but uh, uh, my studies show me, indicate to me, uh, convince me, that's the word I'm looking for, that the great city in the book of Revelation is none other than the city of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that existed when John wrote, Uh, the the great city, uh, which is mystically called uh, Egypt and, and Sodom where also our Lord was crucified, Revelation eleven eight is one of the uh, proofs that I would go to. But I don't want to go down that trail right now. What I want to say is that the parallel between Revelation 18 and Ezekiel 26 and 27 is, is amazing. But here, look at this passage. <clears throat> in, in other words, uh, what I'm trying to say, that Jerusalem at one time, had the dominance of world trade that we see Tyre claiming for herself and the prophet assigning to her. Look what, again, read it again. Verse 2. Aha, the gateway of the peoples is broken. That's how Tyre felt about the commerce that was flowing through Jerusalem at that time. The gateway of the peoples is broken. It is open to me. See Now I get to be the gateways of the people. And as we continue to read, we'll see the kind of merchandise that uh, was and would continue to flow through Tyre for many years after the fall of Jerusalem. My point here is that it is not inappropriate to see Jerusalem as being that same kind of gateway of occupying the position of the trade center of the world. God put Israel, where he put her in the center of the world to be a light to the whole world. It's not um, It's not amazing to us. It's not an unusual concept to think that the trade of the world would flow through her. That was God's intent, to bring people in and out of Jerusalem so they could see his law, his glory. His people let him down in that, but that's what his intent was. Nevertheless, <clears throat> Tyre is claiming now get to be the new gateway of the people now when we come again to revelation 18 and see the kind of opulence and merchandise and one might scratch their head and say did, did, it, did that ever flow through jerusalem here ezekiel 26 says yeah it did all right enough about that let me uh let, let me go on and look at here then at verse three thus says the lord yahweh so here's um what we what we have here in verses three through six is an overview and a generalization. Here's what I'm going to do to Tyre, because of her braggadocio. Uh, I'm against you, uh, O oh Tyre. Uh, <clears throat> this this prophecy against Tyre, as I've already indicated, has converted honest atheists. And so, pay real close attention to it. I'll try to do my best to bring it out clearly. He says I'm going to bring many nations against you. Notice the plurality of many nations, as the sea brings up its waves. See, this is not going to be just Nebuchadnezzar. We expect Babylon, because that's in the context. Jerusalem's fallen, Nebuchadnezzar's in the area, prophecy against Tyre. We'd expect, and in fact, Nebuchadnezzar began, as we'll see down in verse 7, began uh, an invasion in uh, uh, 585 or 586, somewhere in that general area. Soon, Shortly after he finished with Jerusalem, he took up with Tyre. Now, but it's also many nations, so Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to be the last. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar was not going to be the one that accomplished all that's said here. I read an article on the internet just the other day about how the prophecy of Tyre failed. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar didn't throw her debris into the ocean. Well, I mean, if, if the if the person hadn't had an agenda to try to show the Bible prophecy failed, I and mean, that was his agenda, obviously, it, it, he was just trying to look honestly at the text. He would have said, many nations, many nations would come up against you. So it's going to take many nations to get this done, and we wouldn't expect that Nebuchadnezzar would be the one that accomplished all that was to be accomplished here. So this general statement is about what was to be accomplished in general. Many nations, as the sea, brings up uh, its waves. And so, <clears throat> wave after wave. Now, we're going to come back to that uh, when we get, uh, say, on into chapter 27, The this idea of the sea bringing up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre, break down her towers, and I... Uh, it's interesting. They will do this. These nations will do this. I, he says, I... Taking personal responsibility, Yahweh is I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. She will be a place for the spreading of nets so here's what I'm going to do I'm going to scrape her bald I'm going to scrape this city right down to the rock the the, the bedrock. Of I'm going to scrape the overburden off the bedrock. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to get rid of the towers and the walls, the houses. Uh, I'm going to get rid of the sidewalks and the, the fire hydrants. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to take away all the man-made structures. I'm going to take away all the overburden, all of the, the, the silt, the, the, the loose rock, the, the, the dust. I'm going to take it all right down to a bare rock. Which will be a place for the spreading of nets. I can't think of a better place to spread out a net to bolt to dry it, to examine it, to repair it than a bare rock. It's interesting that that's exactly how the rock uh, that, that that piece of ground is used to this day. Over in uh, it's no longer called Tire. It's called sewer, S U R. In uh, it, it's a uh, oh. <laughs> i had it and then i lost lebanese it's a lebanese city uh, sir that's what they do that's what they do i mean here here i live in uh, in an area which is nestled between seattle washington and tacoma washington both of which like tire are seaport cities a lot of of um, trade a lot of wealth goes through the ports of those two cities onto the trains that take them into the <clears throat> inner part of our nation so much like tire it would be amazing to me to think of either one of those cities uh seattle especially but even tacoma of uh, being scraped right down to bare rock and and the best use to be made of those commercial sites would be to spread nets and let them dry but that's what god said would happen to Tyre. Also, her daughters on the mainland in verse 5. Her daughters would be the surrounding cities, the villages, and those cities who had uh, uh, sprung forth from her, which is not necessarily a small um, happening. Tyre was a a massive force in the Mediterranean uh, in the uh, two centuries before um, Ezekiel prophesied she had established uh, strongholds like Carthage she had sailed as far as England and, and around the, the Cape of Africa Tyre was an amazing seagoing power and uh, car- later of cargo now let's get into the specifics oh by the way when that happened you see the end of verse 6 and they will know that I am Yahweh so let's look at some of the specifics Thus says the Lord Yahweh here in in verse uh, 7. Now, verse 7 through 14 uh, then deals with the specifics of the collapse, especially 7 through 11, in which we have uh, Babylon. Behold, I will bring upon Tyre from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, just skip down through the verses with me and, and look at the singular third person Singular pronoun. He. He will lay your, slay your daughters. He will lay siege against your walls. Verse 9. His battering rams. He will direct against your walls. His axes. He will break down your towers. Verse 10. The multitude of his horses. Uh, still in 10. He enters your gates as men enter a city that is breached. Verse 11. With the hooves of his horses, he will trample your streets. He will slay your people with the sword And your strong pillars will come down to the ground. Notice the he, he, he. This is the work of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the work of Nebuchadnezzar was a 13-year siege against Tyre, trying to batter down the walls. That's how strong and provision she was. Her walls, let me say it this way. Off the coast of Tyre, about a half mile out to sea, was a small island, a small elongated island that ran parallel to the coast. Now, this island served somewhat as a breakwater so that the tidal action was actually diffused. what What that did is made the harbors safer. But also out on this island were two really wonderful little harbors one facing northeast, the other facing southeast, and <clears throat> a lot of the commerce on Tyre was actually out on this island, and, and the wall then uh, around the mainland city uh, was one that would offer them protection, since Nebuchadnezzar had no navy, offered them protection to come and go as they would uh, out to this island to sail from there and continue their commerce, uh, and so The siege against Tyre was nearly impossible because a siege depends upon breaking the the supply of food. And Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do that. took him 13 years. It only took him a year and a half against Jerusalem, a, a, a much more powerful city. But 13 years, and when he finally broke through, the city had basically abandoned itself out to the island. They'd moved all their their goods, uh, all their wealth, and they moved out to the island. Nebuchadnezzar basically em- entered an empty shell. He entered an empty shell. Now, over in chapter uh, 29, uh, concerning, this is a prophecy concerning Egypt, but in in chapter 29, he says in verse 17, now in the 27th year, so we're talking a prophecy now 16 years later. In the 27th year, in the first on the first of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made his army labor hard against Tyre. It was 13 years. Every head was made bald, every shoulder was rubbed bare, but he and his army had no wages from Tyre, for the labor that he had performed against it. When they finally breached the wall, Tyre was gone. They moved out to the island. They moved out to the island, and Nebuchadnezzar left. And the city was still functioning. He goes on to say in that in that passage, so I'm going to give you Egypt. I'll give you the wealth of Egypt to make up for what you didn't get here. But my point is simply to point out that 13 years of hard work and Nebuchadnezzar got nothing, so he left the walls breached, he left the cities, he left the the empty stuff, tore it down, made rubble out of it, but he left it sitting on its site. Now the prophecy said, I will cast, I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. She will be a place for the spreading of the nets in the midst of the sea. Nebuchadnezzar did not leave this place a bare rock. He did not scrape the debris off the site. He left it as a big pile of rubble, and and for all intents and purposes, it looks like Nebuchadnezzar or Ezekiel's prophecy has utterly and devastatingly failed. Because who would, what would be the motivation to come in? And do all this laborious work of taking this debris of a of a of a ghost town and throwing it into the, into the ocean. And what what would and Nebuchadnezzar might have enough hatred to do it, but he didn't do it. And so it 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 stood for another two hundred and fifty years as a mockery to the prophecy that Ezekiel had made. But look here in verse twelve. Also they notice the plural third person pronoun they. Also, they. Now, who's the they? If you remember, he said, up in uh, in verse um, three, "I will bring up many nations against you, as the sea uh, brings up its waves." So I brought up Nebuchadnezzar. Now they. So Nebuchadnezzar left after thirteen years, and then they will make spoil of your riches and prey of your merchandise. Break down your walls. Destroy your pleasant houses. Throw your stones and your timbers and your debris into the water. So I will silence your salt. Here's the exciting part. <clears throat> Rather than having a prophecy that failed, we have a, a, a spectacular fulfillment that cannot be explained any other way than God told Ezekiel, what was going to happen? <clears throat> I mentioned the uh, the idea that the island formed a uh, breakwater and gave safe uh, harbor from. Well, <clears throat> what also happened because of and, and I learned this just the other day, and it was, so it's exciting to me. and I'll share my excitement with you, and that is this the breakwater action of the of the island actually caused uh, the the debris uh, the, the, the the silty sediment rather than to be washed back out to sea it it caused it to start to collect between the island and the um, mainland so that it, a um, the, the nautical the um, uh the marine term is a spit a, a spit is a a piece of land that emerges uh, say at high tide at low tide and and then is covered up at high tide a spit was beginning to form a, a land bridge was beginning to form so that um they say that at the time of uh, Alexander the Great that um the water was no more than twenty feet deep at its deepest uh, between the island and the mainland. Now <clears throat> this is God's part of making it happen you got you got only you got a mile a half a mile less than half a mile from the mainland of the island. And it's a spit that's starting to form, so it's no more than 20 feet deep. Alexander came through in around 332, <clears throat> conquering and conquering and conquering. And the, the people of Tyre sent out an embassage to him to uh, welcome him, to uh, yield to him. Uh, but when he asked, can I come into the city and worship there, they said no because they knew if they let him into the city, he would not leave without leaving somebody else in charge, and so they said no. Tyre was a very important strategic spot for Alexander to conquer, to, uh, to go eastward he had to make sure that his flank and the military strategy, that his flank was not, uh, that it was solid, and Tyre was an important piece in having a, a rear guard. So was, <clears throat> he not only was affronted by their no, but he had to have a presence there. But how do you how do you conquer uh, an island city? Now this island city had built a wall around its perimeter that was hundred and fifty feet, and so <clears throat> how are you going to conquer this wall from a ship? Especially when you're going up against ships that are more shippy than you are. Uh, the the. The residents of Tyre were renowned for their uh, seamanship. Uh, they certainly could outmaneuver and outflank any Roman um, navy that came against them. So it was, a, it was a massive problem, not a Roman navy, a Macedonian navy. It was a massive problem. Alexander settled, uh, conquered this problem, settled the issue by saying, what we're going to do is we're going to build a land bridge, We're going to take this spit and raise it up to above sea level all the way out to the island. He built, now guess how he built this bridge. He took all the debris and the rubble from the mainland city that had been laying on the ground now for 250 years. He took that rubble and told his soldiers, throw in the water. Let's build us a bridge. Let's build us a causeway. Uh, Build us a mole that will take us out to that island 200 feet wide. It was. And half a mile long, it was. Well, there wasn't enough rock and stone and debris from the buildings and the walls of the former Tyre to get the job done. So you know what he did? He said, drag the dirt. And they dragged the dirt right down to bedrock to make this causeway. So the site of ancient Tyre was dragged by Alexander right down to bedrock. Now, 250 years earlier, Ezekiel said that's what's going to happen. How did Ezekiel know that that's exactly what did happen? That's, see, that's the amazing thing, that Ezekiel nailed it. How did he know? Nebuchadnezzar failed to fulfill the prophecy of Ezekiel. But Alexander the Great said, in <clears throat> verse 14, I will make you a bare rock, so that you will be a place for the spreading of nets, you will be built no more. For I, Yahweh, have spoken, declares the Lord Yahweh, <clears throat> built no more. Just a couple of thoughts, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute. The the question here, the amazing thing here, is that Ezekiel saw the future of Tyre, but it was two hundred and fifty years before Alexander scraped her down to bare rock. He built a causeway, he attacked this mighty wall, it took him seven months, but he conquered the city of Tyre. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do it in 13 years, but Alexander could do it in seven months because he could blockade, keep the uh, the Navy, uh, of the Tyrian Navy from leaving harbor, and he could build his um, causeway and uh, then attack and breach the wall, which he did 10,000 Tyrian men lost their lives in that battle. 30,000 women and children were sold into slavery. And certainly the city of Tyre was brought to its, uh, more than to its knees, brought to its back. Uh, the, the city was devastated. <clears throat> well, let, let's read on here then in, in the uh, the chapter because i got ground to cover. I'm looking now at verses 15 and 16. Thus... Uh, thus says the Lord Yahweh to Tyre shall not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded groan when the slaughter occurs in your midst then all the princes of the sea will go down from their thrones remove their robes strip off their embroidered garments they will clothe themselves with trembling they will sit on the ground tremble every moment and be appalled at you now we had the back in in, in 2001 9 um, 911 we had the uh, the attack on the world trade center and the the collapse of all the financial uh, I'm not I'm not thinking now just of the loss of life I'm thinking of the in economic impact um it, it 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 affected the stock market stock markets around the world and that wasn't the fall of a nation. That was just the fall of two towers and the surrounding buildings. What if, what if the entire city of New York had been destroyed? What, what if the, the economy of the United States of America had been wiped out? Would that have an impact on the world? Well, Amen. Yes, it would. It would <clears throat> take any of the f- large foreign cities that uh, are involved in, in world commerce Any one of them falling would have a a resounding effect around the world on on the markets. And so we see here all the princes of the sea trembling and appalled. Uh, This has an impact upon them. Uh, Grains and and goods uh, of foodstuff would be unavailable. And so famines would break out around the, the world for a while. They didn't have supermarkets like we do. They didn't have ways of storing food like we do. They depended upon continued supply. Well, this is going to greatly disrupt these established patterns of of, uh, continual supply. Uh, The trade, the economic trade would slow down and and the world could go into a recession or a depression uh, economically. And so it would have a resounding impact. I want to read. We've referenced uh, Revelation 18. I want to read now Revelation 18. A couple, a couple passages for you. Uh, let's look here in Revelation 18 at verse nine, and then verse eleven, and then verse 17, where uh, describing the the uh, the great city. He says in verse nine, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and live sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. In verse 11, the merchants of the land weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargos anymore. And he goes on and describes the cargos. Down in verse 17, uh, 16, Woe, woe the great city, for she, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. Every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living on the by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out, as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, "What is like the great city?" They threw dust on their heads. the <clears throat> The whole area lamenting over the collapse of Jerusalem is paralleled here. Or let me say it differently: the the, the entire Mediterranean world. Uh, mourning over the collapse of Tyre is parallel in Revelation 18 of the whole world mourning over, the economic world, mourning over the collapse of Jerusalem. So take up a lamentation over her. It says in 18, the, the coastlands will tremble on the day of your fall. Yes, the coastlands which are by the sea will be terrified at your passing. What are we going to do? I don't know if you recall, but I do. Uh, back oh, 20 years ago or so, there was a uh, uh, a, a real concern about uh, the the Russian leader who was very very sick. The stock market fell 600 points in one day. It was j- just in response to the news that this leader might die. A 600 um, point or 600 yeah 600 point drop in one day over that news. And so, the, terrified, because the stability of our economics has been disrupted. Verse 19, For thus says the Lord Yahweh, When I make you a desolate city, like the cities which are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will bring you down with those who go to the pit. I want you to recall verse 3, where it's going to bring, bring nations uh, many nations against you, as the wave brings up its, as the sea brings up its waves. Here now, the deep has covered. Uh, he, it's not that the island sunk into the sea; it didn't. It's still there. In fact, the uh, mole, the the, the the road bridge, the land bridge that uh, that uh, Alexander built, uh, <clears throat> continued to. Uh, accumulate sediment from the tidal action and it has expanded to a rather significant. Well, it's a peninsula now, not an island, and it's uh, fairly well populated. the uh, The peninsula and the island now has between ten and fifteen thousand uh, people. They're not in large economic way. It's it's not an economic center, and there's this bare spot where they spread their nets. It's there, and it can be. You can go out and look at it. It's more of a touristy thing than much of anything else. So it hasn't been covered up by the water, is what I'm trying to say. But it was covered up by the water, if you understand the nations so frequently are um, depicted as the the surging sea. And so here, the nations have covered her up. Down in verse 20, you will not be inhabited, but I will set glory in the land of the living. He goes on to say in 21, I'll come back to that point, but in 21 it says, you will never be found again. Now, this is true in two ways. Number one, you can go and see the bare rock, but you're not looking at the city of Tyre, the mighty city of Tyre. But I think more to the point, more to the point is, th- this, as an island city, she never regained her prominence. She never was, after Alexander whacked her off, she never regained the commercial prominence she ever had before. During the siege and because of the siege, uh, trade routes went to other cities like Sidon to her north and and other cities. And uh, the allies that uh, she had uh, abandoned her. And so her situation was forever changed. And he says, you will not be inhabited. Uh, the, The city, the site itself Is not inhabited, and the city, uh, the the replacement city, is just one of the little squalid towns. It's over there. It's it's of no significance. But I will set glory in the land of the living. Now I think here Ezekiel touches on what God would do. The land, uh, the the land, uh, of course, is a reference to the land And, and. it's not, as we have discovered and discussed, it's not a physical terra firma territory. It is God's people. Uh, the, 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 the meek shall inherit the land, Matthew 5. Jesus was not talking about getting to put your feet down on soil. He's talking about getting to be part of God's city, part of God's nation, part of God's land. That's what he's talking about. And I think Ezekiel is touching on that a little bit here. I will set glory in the land of the living. See, not of the dead, not of the spiritually dead, but of those who are alive to God. I think that's what he's referencing here. Oh, that's an exciting chapter to me. I I hope I was able to convey some of that. Uh, If if I were to sum it up, I I would say that God looked at Tyre and said, you are going to be wiped right down to the rock and everything about you thrown into the sea. You made your living on the sea, we're going to throw it all into the sea. Nebuchadnezzar did not do that, though he labored 13 years. So it looked like Ezekiel's prophecy laid unfulfilled and with no motivation to fulfill it. After the city was conquered and the debris not cast into the sea, there was no reason to come up angrily against that debris. There's nothing there, no nothing worth the labor of, tossing it into to sea, until 250 years later, Alexander came. But let me stop before I mention that. So after Nebuchadnezzar abandoned the project, it looked like there was no way that Ezekiel's prophecy could be fulfilled. I wonder what the people in that 200-year period of time were saying. <laughs> well, there's a prophet that didn't come true uh and looking at the the pile of debris and saying there's no way that any of this is ever going to end up in there in in the sea and so Ezekiel tried to be a prophet but he failed i i i can just hear the skeptics of that day coming up with that kind of uh, of ta- a buzzline but then in 332 Alexander came through uh the the people of Tyre refused him access and so he took all that debris threw it in the ocean, just like God said, made a road out there, and conquered the city, brought her down, just like God said. And so it might look like the prophecy failed and had no possibility of fulfillment, and yet God kept his word. And that's exciting to me. That means if I'm going to trust God, I have to be able to trust him in anything and everything he says. And there are places like this where I can test what he says. And that's why it's exciting. I can test God's veracity he said this is what happened to Tyre. It happened to Tyre. And I can say, My God is a God of truth, and those things that I can test him. He's truthful. Um I'll test him. I'll trust him in those things that I can't test him because he's proven himself truthful. That's the way I would make the argument. <clears throat> That's the way I would wish that you would also make the argument. But let's press on into chapter twenty-seven, get a get a bit of, of this under our belt as well. Here again, this is against Tyre. Say to Tyre, verse 3, who dwells at the entrance to the sea, uh, indicating the port, uh, seaport, uh, commerce aspect of this city. Now, watch, <clears throat> we've already indicated that for the 200 years prior, uh, Tyre had been a, a seaport city, obviously, chafing the fact that Jerusalem was cutting into the uh, uh, the commerce, and with the fall of Jerusalem, I will be the gateways to the people, she said in 26. But here, <clears throat> she's still doing okay. Verses 3 through 9 uh, highlight the opulent wealth of this people. I mean, Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. There, are partway through verse 3. Uh, this opulent wealth from her her, her trade induced her to flaunt it. She had lots of money. I want to put it on display. We have rich people living in our nation that do the same thing. We have some that are very discreet about it, but some are just openly flaunting their their wealth. Uh, but in what follows, we're describing now the, the, the ocean-going ships, the fleet, uh, tires fleet, is what we have here. <clears throat> he starts off talking about the the wood, but it's not just wood. They have made made they have made all planks of fir trees from sinir. Now I don't know anything about that. They certainly would, but <clears throat> Ezekiel's saying it's not just wood; it's specialty wood. And the mast is made of a cedar of Lebanon, and the oars are made out of oak of Bashan. This is this is specialty wood. This is high class. You you're buying the best uh, to make your ship. They and in fact the decks are overlaid with inlaid with ivory. Imagine inlaid with ivory, a uh, very expensive ship, uh, embroidered sails. You know, it's, it's it's not just a not just a a, a piece of of um, heavy heavy cotton uh, or or linen for their sails. Some heavy cloth that they could uh, use for their sail, but it's embroidered. And and so it's got designs woven into it, the the man hours that go into making this. He says in verse 7, it's your distinguishing mark. Now, what's the first thing you see when you see a ship approaching, a a sailboat, a three-masted, a a tall ship, they call it? What's the first thing you see? You see the the mast and the sails. So out there on the horizon, uh, there's a ship coming. Well, it's not just kind of green gray um, linen um, cotton fabric that is getting moldy. It's embroidered. That must be a ship from Tyre. And so it's your distinguishing mark. Your awning was a blue and purple. Purple. Purple was the most expensive substance known in the kingdom, more valuable than gold, more precious. Uh, Tiny, tiny little drop of, of of purple or blue indigo in the in the forehead of a of a of a sea snail that they had to squeeze. Of course, they had to kill the the snail to get it. And it's tiny little drop. And to imagine the man hours to extract this stuff and it's very, very valuable. And she's got it on her sails and her awnings. She's decking herself. That's the point. Her. Her her wealth is opulent and lavish and luxurious. All the ships, he says down here in the latter part of verse 9, all the ships of the sea and their sailors were with you in order to deal in your merchandise. Hey, this guy knows how to make money, and we're going to deal with him. This guy knows how to move product, and we're going to use him. Tyre was at the center of trade. Would you rather be the person who's out there Making a product and selling it, or would you rather be the person who is taking the product you made and the product somebody else made and the product somebody else made, and being the broker for their sales? See Tyre was getting rich from everybody's effort, and everybody wanted him as the middleman. Persia and Put and Lud were in your army, and so here we see an impressive collection of allies down in verse. Twelve Tarshish was your customer. Tarshish, out on the coast of Spain, uh, was your customer. Javan, which perhaps is Greece and Tubal and Meshech uh, uh, nations to the north and to the east, uh, were your traders. in verse <clears throat> so we have here an impressive array of traders and customers. You you, you re- realize that uh, in Jonah 1, verse 3, Jonah got on a ship that was sailing for Tarshish, probably got on one of these Tyrian ships sailing for Tarshish. Uh, verse 14 those from Beth Gorm to Gormah gave horses and war uh, horses and mules for your wares, and the Dedans were your traders, many coastlands were your markets, ivory tusks and ebony. You can't read this section without thinking of. Revelation 18, we come back to that. That Revelation 18, let me read a little bit here. Um, uh, Look at verses 11 through 13. The merchants of the land weep and mourn over here because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and citron wood and every article of ivory and articles from Costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice, incense, perfume, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, and horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. Those cargoes. And you, you can't help but see the parallel. that <clears throat> The tire here was like... Jerusalem, And so I want us to uh, keep that in mind. And we're going to come back. We're going to have to stop here because of our, our time. We'll stop here and pick up there next week. So glad that you joined me. Join me again next week, will you? This is Rod saying goodbye.
0: Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right. And the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. For well, the past hour, you've been listening to Probing the Prophets with Rod McAuthor. Stay tuned each Friday from 11 a.m. Central until noon for Probing the Prophets with Rod McAuthor right here on Fulfill Radio, a voice you can trust.